Welcome back to Shaping Logics. Today, our guest is John Shannon. He is co-owner of Hybridizer Side, along with Talisa Davila. I found it informative to hear him talk about the unique set of services they offer, including the reason behind this model. It was also refreshing to hear him speak openly about those early tough lessons of starting your own business. John also shared a peek into the next stage of their business and the steps they are taking to make that possible. To me, this was the most important point because I find it easy to daydream about future achievements and goals, but it's entirely different to set into motion the actions that might actually get you closer to those goals. Thanks for listening and please enjoy the episode. To start us off, I kind of just wanted to ask him the question, who are you, what do you do, and what is your unfair advantage? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Unfortunately, my better half could not be here. But basically, in a nutshell, we are a architectural and structural drafting company with also a real estate branch. So Talisa is a licensed realtor mm-hmm. and essentially what we try and do is incorporate all of the three uh, with our client base or our project base. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the rest of the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, I sort of, you know, I just wanted to ask, like, uh, the, un- the unfair advantage, advantage you yeah. know, just because I'm imagining, you know, you didn't open up like a typical architecture office. You kind of went, you know, like you said, it's something where you could use both of your um, skills, skill set. Yeah. So basically, Talisa has been doing real estate since 2008. And she's been essentially growing a network base with typical homeowners, but also developers and investors. Mm-hmm. And so when we finished school... The goal was to keep doing real estate while we started to understand and grow the architectural practice. So I'd say one of the advantages that we've had is her network base uh, being able to provide for a lot of our jobs. So... Like in terms... Like you just you got uh, referrals off of that. Yeah, basically, basically, it was a jump start to yeah. our whole referral pr- process. But I mean, I think if you're in the grand scheme of things, the other unfair advantage is that we don't really view our work as capital A architecture, mm-hmm. and we're kind of based in the reality that. In order to potentially get there one day, we have to do a lot of run-of-the-mill projects. There's not a lot of design control. People tend to already know what they want. There's a very finite kind of scope. And so understanding that also helps us move through Mm day-to-day getting clients because at the end of the day, it's about making money. Yeah. That's um, that's a good point about people knowing kind of what they want, which is kind of a, a harsh reality I had to face after school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that you guys sort of developed this model of um, there's almost feels like three 
disciplines that you guys work with, you know, structural, architectural, and then the real estate side. Right. Which is great. I mean, it's a great model. Um, did, did you guys uh, set out to do this or it was kind of, it kind of happened when you were in school? Like you meant to live, like you, you, both of you guys are educated um, in architecture school, right? Right. Um, so from my understanding, Talisa was doing it before she started school. And, um, and then she kind of like, after she kept doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, a little, a little background on how we met. We met at Woodbury uh -huh. and we actually started dating our, her senior year, mm -hmm. my second year of grad school. Mm -hmm. And she had been doing real estate the whole time she was at Woodbury. And as we were dating the last year, it wasn't clear in terms of this is what we're going to do as soon as we grab our diplomas. Because I actually worked for a design build firm for a little less than a year right. while she continued to be full-time in just your standard real estate transactions. Yeah. And then it was after that year where... Basically, I had to make the decision. I mean, I'm either going to stay with this company for a while mm -hmm. or I can get my contractor's license, which plays into a separate role of the business model that we can talk about a little bit. Um, and Talisa, she doesn't, she's not an architect <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. She's a, right. uh, she doesn't like drafting. Yeah. Her ideal scenario is she has a piece of trace paper and she's designing the space and the form. And then it's like, it's that's more it. like bigger picture. Yeah. She's like at the top <laughs> and then I'm the cat monkey. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, it sounds like she's the architect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so it didn't, it didn't, it, it happened organically, I would say, a year out of mm -hmm. school where we were really, at that point, we knew, okay, this is what we want to do. We have the real estate network. Let's start pumping those referrals and clients. And, I mean, besides the year doing projects here where I submitted to the city once for them, we hadn't been through the process. You just kind of jumped into it. Yeah, so we really just jumped into it. Now, working at that uh, design build firm, did that mm -hmm. sort of push you towards towards doing what you're doing now? Um, did you see like the type of work that we're doing there, and there, and you were like, "Oh, this, I I can do this," you know, or 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 were you more like, "This is a great business model, and this is kind of what I want to shoot for," or what did you learn from that? I guess. Yeah. So. The company is Artifacts West. It's two really great guys, okay. Charlie and Fred. They both went to Woodbury. Oh, okay. Uh, and they have a true design build company yeah. where they have an architectural branch where they have typical clients that come in, they design the project, and then they hand it off. But then they also have the same thing, but instead of handing it off to a, a separate contractor, Charlie runs the contracting side of the, the portion or of the project. Mm -hmm. And then the true design build, because none of those are design build, the true design build is a project that they're actually working on now 
and they might be good to try and get in here and talk about it a little bit more is a uh, a three three home three single family homes but they are the the designers and the builders and the developers on the project interesting um but while I was working with them they had done one project like that before I joined them but when I was with them it was more of the typical practice where it was design <laughs> where it was uh design and then construction um but it wasn't it wasn't something I mean they really helped me out to get my contractor's license I learned a lot with them um but it wasn't something like oh I can do this I don't need them I'm out of here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was more of I really like their their concept and what they're doing but I need something a little different and and that's why I tried the design build model our first year in business essentially which was uh like 2016ish mm-hmm. until 2017 and I just failed miserably really yeah so <laughs> why <laughs> I mean, basically, at the end of the day, it's just inexperience. So I had my contractor's license, uh-huh. and I had done a few small jobs, but we jumped into some larger remodels, and basically three full home remodels at the same time, which I should have done one, like seeing how it went, mm. and then did the, the next yeah. one. Um. And I kind of I was succumb, I succumbed to the pressure of clients where a lot of them will say, "Well, do you have your own crew? Like, how many? I don't want you to sub too much stuff out, stuff like that." When the reality is, it's better to sub everything out because we had our own crew, but you're essentially trying to support at times a thousand, two thousand dollars a week yeah. for these guys, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't make sense. Right. So, really lost my ass. Basically lost seventy grand the first year wow. doing business, just because each project back on back on back on yeah. back you start losing money and it starts kind of snowballing. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, I was also doing and and the problem was I was also doing architecture at the same time, or architectural drafting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just taking on like I was taking on too much, and and yeah. at this point it was still the first year of our business. Talisa was still doing a lot of real estate. And she really didn't want to be involved in a company that was losing a lot of money. She was like telling you, your company sucks. Yeah, she was like, mine's better. Technically, Talisa owns Hybridize Reside, Mm -hmm. and I own HYR Building. So they're two separate entities. Mm. Uh, But in layman's terms, the, the whole concept is Hybridize Reside, which I can also go into. But yeah, so... At that point, once I had learned everything I had uh, from Artifacts West, from the year doing contracting, Mm -hmm. it evolved into, we're just going to do architectural structural drafting with the real estate. I see. And all of you guys uh, did the Masters of Real Estate? No. No. What what did you guys? No, I just did the Masters of Architecture. Okay. Yeah. And Talisa got the the BR. Same as me. Yeah. 
Yeah, five-year degree. And um, what is it, Artifact uh, West? Are they did do the Masters of Real Estate or what? Did they go to Woodbury? Is that what you said? Well, he said yeah, he said that they went to Woodbury. Together. But, uh, they went to Woodbury together. I know. But they did not do Emerald, no. Oh, uh, they were just <laughs> undergrads? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Do you, do you know about them? I I've mean, I've seen, I've seen their firm. Um, Maybe if I've seen, like... Yeah, I've seen their website like or their, something. I've seen like their Instagram or something, but yeah, I, I had never heard of them until recently, and they're doing a lot of work, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's uh, I don't know. It's I guess it's like a good lesson that you because it I've seen that happen a lot. <laughs> not not you know not to like you know I'm not trying to like poke fun of the situation, but it happened. You know, it happens to like all of us. You know, like and I've seen it happen to places I work where. Um, the scaling of your business, yeah, it's not, mm, yeah, it's not um at an appropriate rate, and you don't really know that, right? Because you you might think that you might you know like you're saying you took a lot of, a lot, um, but just not having enough experience to like you said uh, maybe analyze one project mm-hmm. and then move on to the next one and take that experience. Maybe you took you, you know you took three, and <laughs> you know it was it was a lot. <laughs> you know it, it happens like just. Yeah. Yeah. As far as well, the other like, thing too is like, how do you know what's a lot? Because sometimes it might be like, where that's what you need to to be able to grow, yeah. right? Because right? exactly. sometimes you just you do need that extra push or something. Yeah. Because you also don't want to always be, you know, one project at a time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was too that's much the other, that's, Yeah, that's yeah. not enough. That's the other side of the coin, you know, like yeah. not enough ambition. We only take on little additions. Yeah. <clears throat> and you can do those fine for years but then it's like you never yeah grow beyond that yeah i mean th- yeah i'm just i'm just i talk from experience because we took on that one project that we had the four mm-hmm. unit apartment building and it was just <laughs> such a pain in the ass and it was like <laughs> i mean we i mean i always say that i feel like we lost money but i mean hector would say that you know we just made little money you know like <laughs> working for like yeah i don't know a dollar an hour or something <laughs> but <laughs> But I mean, like, just more, go to prison. <laughs> more valuable is, you know, I guess, like what we learn from it. Right. And uh, what we can put on into the next project and what what we can do and we cannot do. Um, so I, mean, I guess that, I guess that leads me to like it, that's a model that you do not want to get back into. Or are you taking that experience and sort of putting it back in your business and saying, OK, I'm going to scale back and maybe take one one project and do something else while I'm doing that? Or how do you see your business growing now i will never take on a contracting project (laughs) for a client Mm. so we will incorporate it into our own project okay as the sort of developer architect on the project yeah and in that case we will leverage the 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 experience the mishaps and and push it into that scenario that seems to be like the best model. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's so much to it that we still have to learn, and that's still uh, yeah. it has to do more with the financing side. Yeah, making sure that through these projects, if you bring on an investor, or if it's just a bank loan, uh, you have to figure out how you're either paying yourself or sustaining yourself while the project's going on. Yeah. Right. So because yeah, the projects take. It can take a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then you still got to, you know, pay rent, do things yeah. in the meantime. Yeah. If, 
Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask. Um, uh, I mean, I guess you kind of answered it already. Um, oh, can you give us an example of like a business decision that was made early on that either a good or bad and where you're still, <clears throat> you know, you're still like feeling the uh, consequences of it right now? Um, I mean, fortunately, the bad decision of taking on those three projects and losing a lot of money, we were able to make the good decision of focusing purely on the drafting. And that has in turn been able to pay off all that debt and push mm. a profit. So focusing on pure drafting had the had the greatest consequence because it's pushed us to where we're at now, which is in a position where we can leverage uh, the income that we made and the clients that we've we've come across. So how, hmm. how do you come across your clients? Is it mostly like through um, Talisa's kind of work, and then yeah, or so m most of them are through there. Uh, however, lately it's been word of mouth from our previous projects. So it's kind of evolved where her clients were our, kind of our startup and now they're flowing in from other contractors we've worked with or other clients we've worked with. Mm. Yeah. Nice. We post on, I mean, it's like a dangerous marketing game because first of all, we're not selling like coffee mugs. <laughs> so you can't really Instagram, Facebook ads, those don't work for services. They work for products. Yes. And I think people get that confused a lot. Yes. It's hard for someone to look at an Instagram of a, a draftsman and be like, oh, yeah. A yeah. detail. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purchase this for like 10 grand right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we post on Craigslist, but that's, that's a dangerous game. But we've, we've had a few good clients from there. So all of our marketing is essentially word of mouth. Yes. Which I think it is for most architectural practices or design firms. Yep. Um, unless you're like Carrier Johnson and you're able to post in all these different outlets. Like that's right. it. That's it. Yeah, it's sort of unfortunate that this business is so much word of mouth. Like marketing for it, it's so hard. Um I mean, I don't. I can't even think of a company that's doing any type of marketing. That there's a few, but yeah, it's not. It's. I mean, it's. It's like you have to. It's not normal, it. basically. Yeah, yeah. it comes down to your connections and your network. Do do stuff. The stuff like social media and stuff. Does that help you at all, or do you stay? Do you try to stay in in, in the game as far as that, or we post on our Facebook page uh -huh. recent projects we've done and on the Instagram every now and then. Yeah. We've never, it doesn't do anything. Does right. <laughs> you haven't gotten a client that's like, never, <laughs> never, no, no. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that's an interesting issue. But as far as like branding or anything like that, um, I mean, we, we kind of messed up from the beginning <laughs> because <laughs> our name, our hybridized reside, we're like, along with Abel, the only people that can say it. 
Um, people really get it confused. It's been like hybrid design. They just skip over all the letters. It's too many <laughs> syllables. There's, yeah, there's too much going on. <laughs> really? <laughs> but the whole concept was we all of our our work in school, our mentality is very much along the lines of sustainable architecture. More passive than active techniques. Um, but that's where the name came from. It was essentially looking at, we know we're entering a market where most of our projects are going to be remodels. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a hybrid vehicle where you have a vehicle, the technology, which is gas, and then you infuse the battery aspect of it. So hybridize is that portion where you're making a hybrid of these old houses right? and then reside is where you live or whatever. And you guys uh, um, are only focusing on the residential projects, I assume. Um, have you ever tapped into maybe commercial projects or anything? Yeah. So we've done a couple small tenant improvement projects, but it's just another animal that mm -hmm. we don't really want to get involved in. I mean, ev even anything, once you start to get into the three, four unit residential. Yeah. Now, the issue is, I don't think the the problem, the problem isn't fear of doing the project. Uh -huh. It's more people aren't willing to pay us what it takes, as you might have experienced, to orchestrate this piece. Yes. So now, commercial, you've got all the subs that you've got to get, get together. You have MEP. Title 24. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they're always going to require soils, basically, survey. Yeah. All these things start to come together. And the client expectations are way off yeah. as to kind of what you know the process is going to entail. Right. And people aren't willing to pay for it. At least not us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, I guess you're gonna. Uh, we always talk about this, but it's you know that our business is so much. We cater to almost like an elite um, when it comes to you know new houses or mm -hmm. new projects, and it's interesting that you guys kind of like went for that model of uh, remodel, which is kind of like a more affordable option for for people. And it's I can see the potential of growth and how you can. Um, like get to something that's like bigger and, and, and I like your philosophy and how you're implementing that into your projects. Um, is there like a certain, like one, that one project that you feel like, man, that was, that was a great, um, like execution, I guess, mm -hmm. or, 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 and, and also to counteract that, was there a project, uh, aside from the three that you took on, um, <laughs> that you were like, Oh, this is, this was not good. Yeah. So, Kind of to add to the first point, our, and Abel and I have spoken about this before, architecture is a luxury item, Yeah. period. Mm -hmm. So our philosophy of drafting, the whole point is to bring in affordability for people Yeah. because there's so many people out there that have these projects where they need to expand because their family's growing. Uh, they want to remodel because they need to change. The house is dilapidated, so it needs some upgrading. So we actually consider that, I consider that architecture 
in its greatest form because it's no longer about architecture. It's no longer about Bigs rendered master plan that 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 is just uh, an elite luxury item that right. I don't think is grounded in reality. Um, but going back to the question, in in with that philosophy in mind, our greatest execution, we did a little addition in Del Cerro. The the plans for it, and we were stoked because with the client it was like a week or two of back and forth we went into the city and then in the the total process was i think a month and a half and we had the permit Mm. so for us that's the greatest execution because (laughs) these people are on a timeline yeah they they were in a situation where their family's growing they need the space and it was boom Mm. boom boom here's your permit um, I don't remember the next part. <laughs> it was like, what was that? The opposite of that. The opposite. The opposite. Yeah. There's a project we're still working on now. It's been almost two years. Uh-huh. But it's a commercial project. Oof. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an expansion to a a restaurant. But it's just taking forever because it was kind of second. It was handed off to us secondhand in a way. And there's too many pieces to try and coordinate. And again, it comes down to the fact that once you're not getting paid enough, there's no incentive. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm an artist. Yeah. Like that's what I love doing. Yeah. I can sketch really well. I have a great eye for painting for anything, sculpture, whatever it is. Uh, but I'm not going to do that and put my heart into it. If at the end of the day, I'm just sitting on the street begging for money (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that comes down to the failure of this project is the fee structure was just way too low and it's this pressure from these clients to keep pushing it lower and lower and lower and then for some reason you take it when you should never have yeah so poor execution on our part that's a big lesson right there um i find it really interesting that you uh call you very deliberate call your business uh drafting Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys are really designing and, you know, I mean, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And is that very, is that sort of to appeal to a certain um, clientele mm-hmm. or is that to be like less intimidating? Because when you when people go and look, oh, the, you know, someone's going to design a house for me, they, they, they think, you know, money or they right. think, you know, um, it's more like a luxurious, like you were talking about item. Um, but it's almost... It feels really humble that you guys call it that. <laughs> or is that really intentional or or how, how how does that come about? Because a lot of us would just, you know, just call ourselves designers and you're designing. I mean Talisa's right. designing. Um but it seems like very and then, and then the other thing too is like we come up with all these names like Atelier and fucking oh, like yeah. studio yeah. fucking So I like the simplicity of it and like the accessibility. Um was that really intentional in the branding aspect of your company? No, no, I think we started out calling ourselves designers. And then as we progressed, it just kind of happened where it it was more about accessibility, not that intimidation factor for people. And and that's it. I mean, a lot of our projects were not really designing that much. 
we're designing the, the space layout and and that but if anyone says hey what should i do on this wall the first thing we say is i mean you can we don't do interior design <laughs> <laughs> so we're not interested in uh you have to hire an interior designer or like watch HDTV for a night. <laughs> so we're not. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is we, we understand our position right uh -huh. now and that's drafting. Yeah. Because we're not getting into all these details. I think you had a question in your prompt that it's a little further down, but it, about the design build, what is design build? And it comes down, I think the what you had written is um, something along the lines of the architect has full control of the process, yeah. right? <clears throat> so. Or I guess, <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking at it right now, like, because I guess <clears throat> in my head when I think about it, it's like, yeah, the architect has like full control of every single component down to, you know, the furniture, everything. I mean, we were, or I was listening to that the Frank Lloyd Frank Wright, Wright yeah. Utopia house where he designed, you know, the furniture and mm -hmm. even one of the, one of the projects he designed like the dress for the wife or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, like how, yeah, how far away from that image is the reality of what you guys do? Well, I think it, uh, for us, that's very far from reality. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of people that that is reality, but the only thing that causes is this kind of mentality where that's why an architect people look at architects and they're like that guy's an asshole, like everyone, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you're always trying to force your ideals and mentality, and it's not just like you're not just trying to force your design on someone, like paint color or wall material. It's a literally you're trying to push a whole idea of life how mm -hmm. to live yeah. on people yeah how to it's like you're saying this is how you should live right people don't like that <laughs> and all it all it does in my eyes if the architect is always trying to have full control is create delays upon delays upon delays and now i have an example where there's a project that's happening in la jolla we don't you know Obviously, don't have to get into the specifics of who, who's yeah. who. But it's a design-build process where essentially the project's been going on for two, three years. Mm -hmm. And it it's happening because the architect is designing every detail, every connection. But who's paying for that? I mean, it's just money going in the trash can. So it's kind of this... It kind of nod, it, it nods towards the wasteful way we live our lives sometimes where it's just, it's not necessary. You, you have people around you that are experienced, skilled, uh, that, can, that can share their opinion, whether it's the contractor or the sub or the landscape architect or whoever. And those voices should be heard too. So I, I, for a true design build I think is you're orchestrating the parts, but you're not playing the violin. You're not designing the violin for the violinist to play. You let her play because they already know how. Mm. So. But I can definitely see like if there's an architect, I mean, I don't know the project either, but like 
<clears throat> if they have a very specific um, vision of what their project should look like, then how are they supposed to um, execute it? You know, like mm-hmm. unless they have, maybe they still let, you know, to keep the analogy going, they still let like the violinist play, but yeah, I guess maybe they they just give them like little tweaks, you know, like, yeah you know no i I think it comes down to for example if you're designing let's say the front door Mm. and how it swings the hardware if it's the first time you're doing that you should be doing it in your garage at home to figure out how it's going to work what happens is you do it in the field on site it's your first time and now you've had to repeat the same thing five to six times and that, for some reason, just stalled the project for two, three months. So I, I understand, like, you're really trying to hone in your vision. But if you don't understand how the vision even comes together in the first place, then you have to test it out on your own time to make sure you understand what's happening. Or it's got to be your own project where it's your money that's yeah. that's getting wasted. It's your time that's getting wasted, not other people's. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's kind of fucked up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a completely different story. Because how I see it is like I don't know the the like the way I think, and I don't know. I guess a good analogy is, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I feel like you know there are some people who are gonna spend the money, you know, to pay for the architect who are gonna who's gonna work in the last detail. But mm-hmm. it's almost like you know we always talk about like clothes or you know fashion where people are willing to pay for a gucci or like a right or like a louis vuitton or whatever but those like you know to to your point those companies are honed in and they have a certain product that's worked out and it's like it's there Mm -hmm. and it's a high quality product as opposed to like somebody who you're talking about where it's maybe like a new startup company who hasn't like worked things out and still trying to figure things out and they're trying to charge like a premium for it which is not cool yeah like yeah the, i mean the company's not a startup it's been around, around <laughs> for a while <laughs> sometimes I, I don't know i still don't like i get it right but like some what if the the client is also like you know like yeah let's be experimental like yeah maybe they have just money to blow i don't i don't know like <clears throat> or maybe they're just super interested in like whatever that might be you know like either some mechanism to open a door or something they're just like yeah that's like maybe they don't care about the wasted time you know yeah it's, then yeah, it, it could fine. be or they just might just want a house you never know because all yeah, these players yeah, I guess like, that's we're just kind of imagining but yeah I, I, we, all, yeah. we all know like there's a bunch of players in a project and you know it could be some i mean we run into contractors or somebody who's not pulling their weight or just doing kind of shady shit or doing you know thing like like you were saying, like five times, you know, because they haven't done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like weird. It kind of falls into weird and unprofessional in a way um, for certain things. But like Abel saying, if if all parties are sort of agreeing, I guess I guess like honesty has to be put out there. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. if I was working on the project, be like, I, you know what, I've never done this before. You know, and I'm putting it out there. You know, I'm not gonna expect. Also, I'm not going to expect for the client to pay for all my five experiments, you know? Yeah. It's a little weird. Our, our business it's, is kind yeah, of strange. I think that way. that's a good, like, honesty, just being like, hey, like, here's yeah. an idea. 
I haven't tested it out before, but I'm willing to work on it. It's going to take a little longer, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then the la the decision is going to explain all of the, cause I'm sure in your case, you know, he didn't, that architect or whoever was not upfront about. Yeah. I'm not um, sure. I'm not sure, yeah. but I mean, it's an investor that, but usually, I mean, that's, you know, I'm kind of saying that that's when issues come up because the, the reality and the expectations do not match. And you're the client is left with like, oh, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was this way, but it's not. And, you know, what happened? You either you didn't tell me or some something happened in between, you know, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it tends to be kind of going back to the honesty and then also the, the ego is just so strong sometimes yes. that it's okay to sub sub it out to like i don't know a mechanical engineer or mm -hmm. some other sort of engineer that understands more about the physics of door swings and latches and bolts and yeah so yeah that's a big that's a big thing i've i've worked somewhere where it was it was a similar scenario where the architect would take on way too much and there was a big part of the ego where you know you you, you have to kind of let it go sometimes to mm -hmm. let people who know who specialize in things you know i mean i think that kind of separates the successful firms with the not so successful ones and we talked about it with Catherine a yeah. little bit but you know it's about kind of like surrounding yourself with people who know their trade you know i mean like if you're good at spa space designing and you're good at you know creating plants and all that i mean like stick you know like keep doing that and let somebody else do the rest. Like, I mean, like, like you said, like we're not interior designers and they mm -hmm. have their part. And, you know, um, we always talk about this analogy about valuing other people's work. That's something like I wanted to ask Talisa if she came, but about the value of, um, a realtor, mm -hmm. because a lot of people I've run into, you know, especially like watching, you know, TV, like a home and garden, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. You know, like I can be my own realtor, just some paperwork. It's like, no, you can, you know, like, it's like, you got to like value all these other trades that, you know, I mean, have spent yeah. time and, and, yeah. and put a lot of work <laughs> into it because some people are so like demeaning and like, even for our work, you know, like yeah. they'll think we're just like doing just, you know, some plants or whatever, but it's more than that. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I well, can the value of a realtor. Yeah, yeah. The value, yeah. the value of the trade pretty much. Yeah. Of the, yeah. I, I can speak for Talisa where essentially a, a lot of people do come up and say, well, I can, I, I don't need you yeah. essentially, <laughs> but, uh, we're still in a economy and a market where in the state of California, at least, I don't know how it operates in other states. Uh, the realtor on one end. Okay. The realtor's value is sometimes too high. Right where essentially it's six to six and a half percent commission, but that that's for the buyer and seller's agent. So it tends to be split like two and a half to three and a half percent either way okay. or vice versa. So sometimes that that's too high, but there are situations where the realtor is really doing a lot mm -hmm. and they're not just, they don't just like 
show up at an open house and right. follow you around and that's it. And I think it also depends what kind of client these people are. Um, but then there's a lot on the back end that's happening that people never see. And it's just like, just like designing or drafting where there's a lot that happens behind closed doors yes. that needs to happen. And that's where the hours are spent. It's not necessarily showing the house or meeting the client to design it. Right. So, yeah, we are undervalued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I just feel like a lot of people sort of just see something that it's shown and, and, and it kind of plays into this whole like social media age and like TV where everybody just kind of shows like the easy, quick out, you know, like, oh, life hack. And highlights. Like, yeah, like just the highlights of, of something in it. And they don't see kind of like the work that goes behind doors. Um, yeah, and so. I mean, a lot of these shows on HGTV are in Texas yeah. or Canada. <laughs> and I mean, real estate's just so much cheaper. Labor's so cheaper. Everything's cheaper. cheaper. Yeah. So people just bring that like 50 to to $100 square foot price point yeah. in their projects here. And it's like, no. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah, I saw another thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Are you originally from San Diego? No, I'm from the East Coast. Oh, you are? Northern Virginia. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Northern Virginia, huh? There was just something happening with Virginia, wasn't there? Amazon is, their new headquarters is in Northern Virginia. Oh, or really? will be. It wasn't that senator or it that was mayor that, with the KKK guy? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Wasn't that the doctor, yeah. right? The doctor. Yeah. No, there was the, uh, the gun. Oh, the, the thing that you sent me? Yeah. It was the, the governor and the lieutenant governor or something like that. Yes, yeah. that's right. They're Those both are, all like yeah, harassing that, women and yeah, the, doing the, blackface and stuff like that. The governor was doing blackface. and it's his the wife, same guy. That's the same guy with the post-birth post abortions or something like yeah. that. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, that's some weird shit. Good old Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> It actually, I think, tends to be more of a democratic state. Virginia? Yeah. Feels like there's a lot of minorities there, right? There's a lot of black people in Virginia? Or it's like half and half? <laughs> I'm not sure. Is Virginia? No, no, there isn't a lot of black people there. There's a lot of uh, Hispanic people. and Really? Maybe in the southern part of Virginia, there tends to be more African Americans. but Mexicans are everywhere. <laughs> but I was going to ask you, like, compare, compare to... Uh, well, I mean, we we sort of live in like this, you know, say this like <laughs> bubble. Uh, we're like uh, completely yeah. disconnected, you know, from this, like the rest of the country as far as even like prices. You're talking about like the state, right? Like, the state in I'm general. I'm talking about the city. The city and is so San, fucked. Yeah, and then San Diego. <laughs> so why why is the city so fucked that we, you know like <laughs> we have house prices like five hundred thousand dollars for like a shack, pretty much? Yeah. Um, they, I'm sure that know, plays the, into your business a lot. <laughs> oh man basically i didn't move here for the weather <laughs> so i i moved here out of the fact i first went to san francisco after mm -hmm. undergrad that's even worse yeah well i went to i like san francisco yeah, it's cool <laughs> <laughs> so i went to undergrad in dc and then i flew out to san francisco i actually switched majors or i started doing grad school for industrial design which actually is the door swing, nuts and bolts, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I realized I didn't want to design objects. 
and I felt like I was having an affair on architecture. <laughs> so I I switched to the architecture program up at the Academy of Art. Nice. But the trajectory they had me on was if I had never seen a a drafting board or anything. So I was I was looking for a quick option to switch out, and I found Woodbury in San Diego. And moved down here, but so that's why I came down here. And uh, a lot of people are here for the weather, and and maybe that has something to do with with the housing prices or whatever. But I mean, it, it is the whole state where housing is so expensive, taxes are so expensive, healthcare, everything is yeah, has a premium. Yeah. But this city, my my grandparents actually moved here when my dad i think was like four or five so my dad was essentially raised in san diego until he was 18 19 years old and then they moved to the east coast uh-huh. um and ever since my grandmother was here she was part of the I'm not sure if she was a city council uh, board member or she was b- a part of a bunch of boards and the my grandfather was the uh, head of the school board, and they had the same issues then that San Diego has now. Really? Hmm. Where it's all about not in my backyard. <laughs> it's all about not allowing business development because San Diego, the people that are here, wanted to stay a beach town, essentially. Right. But this is, I think, like the eighth largest city in the United States. There's a lot of people here. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that everything is only... Essentially, in San Diego, you need a car to get everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Unless you're from Mexico, coming up on the trolley to work. I don't even know where you're going. Right. <laughs> like, where are you taking the trolley? Downtown, maybe? <laughs> like, or uh, I don't know where else you're going. Out the trolley? No, if you're coming from Mexico. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably like... I mean, most of them drive over. Right. Like, most of the guys that are coming over as laborers, from my experience, are, are just driving over because yeah. they need a truck, they need a car. That's what they do, period. Yeah. So the trolley is essentially worthless. And then the bus system is is even worse. So we're stuck with an infrastructure for the car. And you can't take the trolley to the beach, which is the whole point of this damn city. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, To take the bus, I was talking about this with someone else, to take the bus from Golden Hill, which is where we live, to PB, like maybe you want to go to the PB Pier, it takes an hour, yeah. and it's 11 miles, and we have to transfer. <laughs> and buses. how much does it cost? <laughs> like five bucks? Like five bucks, yeah. one way. It's Uber, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so the, the problem with the city is that now, because it's such a non-my, I mean, it's always been a non-my backyard, you can't push the trolley up along the coast or down Garnett or something or Grand. You can't push it down uh, Newport avenue into ob people are just they would go ballistic they would die people just die they'd have heart attacks so then uh, on on the other hand 
even though I think this the city tends to vote Republican. Yes. I actually really like Mayor Faulkner. I think he's been great. Uh, because of the weather, you have such a huge influx of homeless people. Yeah. And also, it's a, it's a large population of veterans because mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. the Marines, the Army, and the Navy here. Yep. So, I mean, this is like a more of a theoretical probably debate that lasts for days, years. <laughs> uh, but it, it comes down to the fact that there isn't, in my mentality, you cannot rely on public funds to solve the homelessness crisis or any crisis. Right. Because even though a lot of people claim that they're very liberal and that uh, we should end this crisis, if you said, okay, well, give me an, an extra 20 grand for your taxes, <laughs> they'd still say no. Of course. Not even that, but, you know, the the not in my backyard, like, okay, let's put a homeless shelter right mm-hmm. next to your house. Yeah, no They're way. They're probably going to be like, uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's kind of like uh, because there's not enough business development, because people don't want it, we're not attracting these large corporations, whatever yeah. it is. To solve these issues, it's a combination of private money with public infrastructure, public land, whatever it is. People don't, companies don't want homeless people sitting outside their doors. Yeah. And especially what, what, what tends to happen and the greatest examples are when you have religious organizations partnering with private companies to resolve on their own these issues. Uh, that's, that's what's happened for a long time in other cities, and that's, that's the way to go. And Minneapolis is actually a great example in terms of the city partnering with private funding to create these larger, more controlled homeless shelters. Mm. And they're taking the view of typically what happens when you move into a shelter is they segregate you because there's a lot of issues with right. with whatever. So, yeah. you know, children tend to be over mm-hmm. here, females mm-hmm. here, males yep. there. There's a lot of drug rehab, alcohol rehab programs. Yeah. I mean, these people are, are fucked up. They're not going to sit through a drug rehab program. Yeah. So what Minneapolis is doing is they've created the shelter where there is no segregation. You stay with your family, whatever. And then people are using, they're drinking, they're doing whatever. But the whole point is controlling it. So now you're able to observe it, keep it in a in an area. And if you look at a town in Copenhagen called Christiania, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's essentially an open drug market. Right. And, I mean, with, with the exception of hard drugs, it's like hash and uh, marijuana. And yeah, and mushrooms yeah. and stuff like that. But what the point is... It's illegal in this town, which is in Copenhagen, and it, it's able to be monitored. So back to the original thing. I mean, essentially, <laughs> <laughs> the, a lot of problems. There's a lot of there's a lot of issues, but it all comes down to the fact that there's a lot of people here that want it to be a beach town. Yeah, I mean, I, it's t- not. I totally agree. I, I feel like there's uh, there's a lot of that here. Um, and to me, a lot of the problems, like you're saying, it's it's that knee-jerk reaction of, like, I don't want this in my backyard. And there's a lot of 
uh, I don't know, I guess hypocrisy. Because the perfect example I can give you is uh, in South Park. I remember when that uh, Target Express mm. was going to open in South Park. So many people were, you know, like upset and like talking all this shit. And now you go over there and, 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 and the Target is booming. You know, <laughs> like all these South Park people that go there. And the same thing is happening in North Park right now where that Target is opening right now. Okay. And there was like some mural of some like hipster art artist that, you know, they did that. And like, oh, my God, they're going to turn down like just go boycott, you know. But it's just like social media activists. Like you ain't doing shit. You're not going to go over there. There's gonna It's going to be filled with hipsters in like two months. And, like, nobody's going to complain, you know, because the target is going to clean up, like, the street. And, you know, it just, it, it, it's, it's. Oh, yeah, it's right it, on that corner. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know. I just don't get it. Like, some people are so against change. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, and I think there's a way they're, like, companies are maneuvering because, you know, they call it Target Express. It's a smaller one. It's more, like, neighborhood friendly, I guess, or whatever their intent wants to be. But I always say, let the market decide. If you really don't want to hear, don't shop there. Yeah. Don't go there, you know? Yeah. Like, make sure that your voice is heard. And, like, you know, we're organizing a little protest out there. What are you going to support, you know? Like, we're in America. Your money, your dollars are the ones supporting the business. Same thing happened here. We talked about with Hector's building, right? With that, with that girl that wanted oh, to come yeah. here. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so, like, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to talk all this shit, like... Drive people away. Just let let the market decide. Don't yeah. don't. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, I would have loved if she set up shop. Exactly. There, there's nothing healthy to eat in the barrio. Yeah. You got to choose between tacos. carne asada fries, tacos, <laughs> or tacos. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there used to. I would have loved a salad juice place. Come on. <laughs> there used to be a, a fruteria that was really good by Mickey's place. Remember that guy? Like he mm. was there for years, mm. and he used oh. to sell like a vegetarian torta that was amazing. <laughs> Uh, but but it was like and yeah this is like a mexican-owned business you know mexican ran and uh the guy got driven away i don't know why like i think that yeah the new owner came in and uh like jacked up the rent but i think that's that's kind of what people say because i i i agree with you that whole notion of like let the market decide but then you know when these bigger companies do come they do um they do have an effect on everything else. They can't, of course. they're not just like isolated to like yeah. their little, you know, if like, I don't know, this is a perfect example. Like when Northgate opened up here, which is like, you know, three blocks away, mm-hmm. which is super convenient. But before they opened up, what I used to do is I used to go to another, um, I think, I think like one block before there's another little like farmer's market uh-huh. thing and it's super small. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know um, which one you're talking they, about. They just have like a very select few yeah. um, groceries and stuff like that. <clears throat> and that's where I would shop. But then, you know, it's because it's, it's like, it's more convenient to go to North because they have everything. Um, yeah. This other place sometimes didn't have, they just sometimes they didn't have you know that many a selection of like fruits and stuff. They just right. kind of they operate differently than a uh, a major like retail, you know. Yeah, I mean you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm I'm pro corporation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pro all of this because at the end of the day, just like you're saying, it, it comes down to 
if you really want to pay two bucks extra for that light bulb at your local hardware store, go on over there, pay it. Yeah. Yeah. Let your wallet do the talking. And then guess what? That local hardware store is owned by Ace, most likely. <laughs> they just brand themselves really yeah. well to look like a local hardware store. Yeah, that happens a lot. Actually, who was telling me that? I think it was, it might have been Rene or all of all the people. Uh, in Little Italy, there's a, a lot of those restaurants that are supposed to be mom and shop, mom and pop shop, are owned by big, like, conglomerate, <laughs> like, corporations, yeah. which, is, which is sad. And, like, people don't even know that, you know? I, I think where the mom and pop thrives are places like New York. If you go to New York and you're trying yeah. to go grocery shopping, it's your experience. Yeah. yeah. It's a small market. They don't have grocery stores. Bodegas. Yeah. yeah. yeah and so. that's awesome. But it exists because you're able to run all your errands in a community by walking, biking, or taking public transport. Like four it's blocks. The yeah. density. Boom, boom, that's, boom, boom. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's always that's been it. like that. Like, yeah. I mean, we were in Rome for right. you know five months or whatever, yeah. and there's no, there is no, there's no benches. <laughs> yeah, there's no benches, um, but there is no like big, right, uh, retail stores. You know, no. even the small, Only even like a Prada or like a yeah. international known brand has to accommodate to the right, city to because the, the city only has space, yeah, you know, little shops that are you know, 20 by 10 feet of. Yeah. And it's sort of like that, uh, for here, San Diego, like going back to your point, we're a car city, you know, we'd have to drive everywhere pretty much. I mean, there, sure. There are like, you know, I mean, I show up around my neighborhood. I go to like crisp sometimes yeah. in golden Hill, yeah. you know, like I walk there or I take my dog to get groomed right there at that grooming place. Absolutely. I tried to support, you know, like local businesses, but you know, it's not, you know, it's not, it's, I don't understand like people who think everything, you know, comes that like are almost like extremist at that point because it's never going to happen because people are going to drive somewhere else. People go to Costco, you know, yeah. people love Costco, Costco, anywhere that you put a Costco, people are going to come and it's going to be full. <laughs> and I wonder why, you know, because like you go to Costco and you buy people four things Costco. and it's like 120 bucks, you know? Yeah. And then people complain about big retailers um, like North Park, you know, like. Who is Target putting out of business? Bonds? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, it's just like, it's so stupid to me. It's because we want, like, you want that, like, that cutesy, like, yeah, you we know, want like, both mom and pop. Both. Yeah. We want the convenience of, um, you know, Costco, Target, all these places. But then we also want our cities to look like, yeah, fucking little, yeah, I don't charming. Know, yeah, charming. And they Blocks. came out of a yeah. magazine or something. Yeah, I think that the I'm I'm not on this earth to tell anyone what to do. So just like us, people are always ragging us for trying to do sustainable design or architecture, and it's hey, that's what we want to do, and we're gonna do it. Uh, and so if people want to shop at the local place and go to the extreme, that's great. Going back to that uh, to design a little bit, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, what are some things that people can do in their house to be more sustainable? What advice would you give to like a homeowner who's like, Hey, I don't have that much money, but I want to, you know, be more sustainable, like sustainable at my place. Yeah. I think our, our mentality when it comes to that, there, there's so many 
like really cool options for flooring or even for furniture that are kind of on the cradle to cradle product list that don't cost a lot of money and are just as useful or beautiful as other products. Mm -hmm. uh, the premium you tend to pay is for the time to find these, these things. So that's it. And now a lot of these, so these products are comparable in price to normal, like gypsum or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, insulation is the biggest thing and insulation is not that expensive. So if you're already opening up walls and stuff, there's so many different types of recycled or, or non-formaldehyde insulations that you can use and stuff like that. It, it's harder on these smaller remodels for yeah. sure. Um, it's like an investment too. Right. Know, like, like I just, I know you said like cradle to cradle, it made me think of like, you know, like furniture and stuff that you pay, f you know, I mean, everybody now just gets like Ikea. Right. Which only lasts, you know, even if you take months. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but like, if you make that investment of like a nice piece of furniture, that's like solid wood, you know, it can last you a, a long time. Yeah, it comes down to what you want to breathe in. I mean, if you can make your home a little less toxic yeah, without these products that are essentially off-gassing for the remainder of their lifespan, that's the whole goal. Have you run into any products that are super hard to get here in San Diego? Um, maybe due to transportation or like regulations or anything like that? Yeah, there's actually a whole laundry list of cradle to cradle products or living I, I can't remember living institute certified products that are produced either in canada or the east coast uh but because there's so many regulations in california it tends to push these companies outside of here yeah and then it's it's hard to bring them in for some reason uh so at that point it doesn't make sense anymore so we've kind of isolated california I mean, San Diego and California claim that they're the the greenest, most liberal <laughs> uh, state slash city yeah. in terms of architecture and construction. But I hate to break it to everyone. They're like last place. Really? I mean, you go on the East Coast, even in the Midwest, there's a lot of cities that are leading the charge in terms of green, sustainable design and construction. Because I think one of the the factors is the materials, the products, whether it's lead certified or whatever, are easier to get because they're being produced east of the Rockies, basically. I see. Yeah, because that's just the that's like a transportation problem. Yeah. Just, yeah, it feels yeah. like um, regulations in California are are a lot more stringent for people trying to bring in products. Uh, for example, do you remember when we went to that uh, window uh, factory in Canada mm -hmm. with work? And they were talking about how California Title 24 made it really difficult to bring in their windows because they had to change their whole design when they updated the Title 24. Mm. And it created a challenge not only because it was, it was like a dual pane and then the, the gap, they changed the gap in the middle of the window. Uh, to I don't know what, what it was before, and then they made it larger, I think, 
which made it more difficult for them to load it into a car or, a, you know, like a truck and hold it together because they were breaking a lot, a lot of windows. Mm. Uh-huh. So just little things like that, that doesn't like policy making, I guess, doesn't really address that fact. I don't know. It's just, it's very, very weird. Cause those things just, I mean, what is that little gap expanding that an eighth of an inch really going to do? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing right now you were talking about like the green products and stuff like that. Is there anything, uh, do you have like some sort of like a mind blowing fact or something that we're like, Oh, do you guys know that you, you know, every time you actually are using X, you're like doing this or no, no. (laughs) (laughs) If, I mean, if you had asked me like uh, one of our advantages is that I, I've been able to compile essentially a spreadsheet of what I do is I take a product like typical, gypsum half inch drywall and then i look for comparables Mm. and when i find it i'm able to see what the price difference is so i have this large spreadsheet of all these products that are comparable but i keep that pretty close to my secret file (laughs) location (laughs) because it's one of our advantages where we're able to say yeah we do sustainable stuff and this and that and we can provide like a list of products that are comparable we don't want anyone else doing that but i mean i think to answer your question it would be a lot of the misconception is that sustainable architecture is more expensive where i think we have it to a point where it's in par with regular design and construction And, and and most of it tends to be product based and passive techniques. I'm not talking about like solar panels. Right. And, and stuff like that. So right now you guys uh, um are not working on your own when do you think you're gonna move on, make that leap to start working on your own projects like funding and Yeah, so we're actually hitting a an interesting stage of the business development where are we've been able to now focus mainly on companion units Uh because that's a big thing in San Diego. And Mm -hmm. we were definitely ahead of the curve with a few projects before the regulations came in. And so that gave us kind of a leg up on, on some, some other designers in town. And now we're in a spot where San Diego has been good to us, but we're looking to, kind of work remotely in a way. And I think that goes back to labeling ourselves as draftsmen where we want to have that freedom to be able to move around. Yeah. So we'd actually prefer to be hired by an architect or an engineer uh-huh. rather than a homeowner because we can still produce what we're producing on the road. And we're actually, I mentioned Minneapolis. We're looking at Minneapolis to buy a property and get cash flow out of it basically mm-hmm. uh Talisa already owns a couple properties and so this would essentially be adding to the portfolio mm-hmm. um but again we're not doing it's not 
it's not capital A. It's not a capital A project. It's a how do we look at this as an investment in right. a cash flow yeah. Yeah. project? Uh, and wherever we can, we try and add our our zing and our zest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the reality of what what it is. Yeah. yeah. Have you done a lot of ADUs here in San Diego? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, we just we just finished two two just finished construction this year, and we've already got another one permitted. Today, actually, we're going to go do an as-build for, for the next one. Hmm. So they're they're pretty. We like them because they're straightforward. They're small spaces. Yeah. There's not a lot to figure out. And what's well, a mo- what's the model that you're seeing? Is it like homeowners kind of renting these out, yeah, or is it just for like, like what does a client look like for mm-hmm. that? Is it like yeah, it tends to be the homeowner is going to rent it. R- rarely we see them Airbnb it. Uh-huh. Or they are gonna actually live in the companion unit and rent the main house. Rent the main house. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because again, the the costs of living are so high here yeah. that mm-hmm. you know you want somebody else to pay for your mortgage. Yeah, yeah. You still gotta pay to build it, build the damn thing. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Interesting. That's, yeah. that's what Abel wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> Said he's gonna build a box in here. No, I've seen. Have you seen those um, that people are <clears throat> building on on their? They're taking like a parking space and like building on it. <laughs> no, have you, you seen those? Right? No. <laughs> Where? Where? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> online somewhere, but that's what they're doing. Like yeah. a literal parking space on the street. Or um, like on their property. On their property sometimes. Um, I mean, there's <laughs> there's also the example of like, um, like what are these Bad things life? called? No. no, no. <laughs> these um, parklets, they call them. Parklets. Sound familiar. I don't think. Yeah, it does sound familiar. Yeah. So that's like, take like a, like a street, like. University Avenue or, you know, right. that has a lot of activity going on. There's businesses on on the street. So they take a parking space on the street and they convert it into a a little park. Oh, uh, right. So yeah. they they're just benches. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. I've seen it in San Francisco. Yeah. There was one in North Park. That's cool. And then you just pay the meter for the that parking spot. I don't know how it actually... I think the city like doesn't... doesn't ex- yeah, doesn't it's like those. a... I was working... When I was still in school, I was... I was it was, was actually a project with Jose. Um, it's It was a restaurant in um, Alcajon Boulevard. And that's what they wanted to do. And they were like talking with the city, you know, to get them some money and... Um, yeah, <laughs> it's always a bummer. Uh, hey, can you give us money like, to block yeah. the street? <laughs> They're like, can we get money and uh, permission to put some plants on the? Yeah, I think somebody parking. from uh, New School did that. They took like two parking spots in front of a shop, and they just kind of made it a, a little park. Yeah, yeah, like a, a bunch of plywood and, and, and stuff. Um, 
What's yeah. your point? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Where were you going with it? Yeah, oh, it was the housing. Oh, Somebody the was ADU building housing. And the housing and like oh, turning yeah. those unused because mm-hmm. they're just they're out there. You know, there's just unused <laughs> parking spaces and I, yeah. I think that's a that's a it's a little out there, but yeah, a more dense environment like Hong Kong. I can see that happening. Yeah, here there's just so much space where it's like, why would you do that? I mean, you got a whole backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if it's you and yeah, yeah who's, who yeah. wants to live in a parking spot? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can. It's see not for me. It. Not. I mean, I can see people doing it, but I don't know. That'd be kind of weird. But anyways, so where do you see your business growing from now? Um, uh, I think you're talking about like maybe expanding to the rest, you know, going somewhere else to maybe invest in some property. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to stay in San, do still work in San Diego remotely or do you want to kind of disconnect from the city, from the city? <laughs> <laughs> no, we definitely still want to continue working remotely Yeah, and, you know, potentially going back and forth. Uh, there's still a lot that we can do and yeah. that I think would be good here. And why um, Minneapolis is that just because do you have family there or is that a place that you just went to and you kind of like saw the potential? Because I heard a lot of people are doing stuff in Detroit too, but I mean it's kind of like a it's been happening a lot now. Yeah. So, so what what we do is we subscribe to a bunch of different newspapers and then just kind of Google search all the time zoning changes. Uh. And Minneapolis, the city council last year, towards the end of the year, approved what will be the largest zoning amendment basically in the history of the United States. Wow. Minneapolis is comprised of a lot of single-family homes. Yeah. The downtown is comparable to the size of downtown San Diego in terms of population, height, Stuff like that. Yeah. And then the people that are living in San Diego County is also comparable to the metropolis of Minneapolis and St. Paul, essentially. So they're very comparable. But what you have are a lot of single-family homes outside the downtown area and a lot of R1 zoning, R1A, which is single-family zoning. Uh And what the city of Minneapolis it's it's called their 2040 plan it's a very large comprehensive plan that includes things from transportation to housing to the economy to business development but within all of that in housing in the zoning they realize that they too have a housing crisis just like other parts of the country like San Diego yeah. and uh, there isn't there's a lot of people that have these larger historic homes, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 square feet that aren't essentially being used to their capacity. Mm. A lot of Minneapolis, the demographic, especially in the areas that we're looking at, most uh, of the people are actually between the ages of zero to like 40. So you have a a very young population, and it has a lot to do with the weather also, but a very young population there, 
most of them are between the ages of zero and 18 and a lot of unmarried people. So the, the zoning changes are essentially going to shift these single family homes and allow them to be triplexes. And it's essentially the entire zoning map will be like that. And then they'll have these kind of corridor sections where you can have R4, R5, mm. and then obviously you have your larger multifamily developments, right? So we've been following that for a while. It got voted through the city council. I do have some family there. Yeah. My dad was actually born there. And, uh, but that's kind of besides the point. It, it popped up because of these zoning changes. Interesting. Uh, it still has to go through the met the metropolitan council, but I mean, there's no reason why it wouldn't, they're essentially looking at it as plan reviewers would at the city where the project's going to go through. You just have corrections yeah, just and stuff. A, yeah. It's just the bureaucracy of it. Um, and it's also one of the most active cities in the u.s really one of the most fit cities in the u.s oh wow and i mean it besides the winter <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool place to be so that's what we're pushing for nice that's interesting i'd suggest you take a look at it yeah uh, how how's like the cost of living over there oh man so talisa was doing some research basically the way the the average wage difference between California, or let's let's say uh, I think it was California and Minnesota, is like two hundred dollars. So in t the average in Minnesota is two hundred dollars less than California. Okay, the cost of living is two hundred percent more in California. Jesus. So you're making the same money. Mm -hmm. But you're paying 200 percent less in Minnesota. You're paying, yeah, it's incredible. Paying half for everything. So, I mean, we're looking at homes that are three bed, two bath, four bed, two bath. That are, you know, if you're getting a fixer upper, it's like 100 to 150 thousand, 200 thousand. In nice areas, good areas, and then something that's already kind of really nicely done. Historic home, it's like three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand. Wow. So that that's the other thing is we're in a, we're at a spot where we would like we would like to do a project in San Diego, but yeah. we just can't leverage the money we have here as well as we can there. And the rental is, I mean, it's maybe two hundred, three hundred, four hundred bucks less there. Uh, but Airbnb is legal there. Uh, you can have as many as you want. The city doesn't care as long as you pay your city tax. Right. And you can have as many rentals as you want. So they're not hitting restrictions like here in San Diego where, unfortunately, I would say that by 2020, Airbnb is going to be really limited. We have a couple properties we Airbnb here. Really? So that's Wait, something that Is it illegal here or something? Or no, it's still, like it's still in the gray zone where it's not legal or illegal. But there's no regulations against it. Uh, but they did try and vote last at the end of last year to restrict it to essentially one Airbnb at your personal residence. That's it. And, and it, that's it. And you can't Airbnb a companion unit. What? So. I mean, that's 
That's the whole point. Uh, yeah. And then they were trying to do erase vacation rentals in Mich- Mission Beach, which is all Mission Beach is, is vacation rentals. Yeah. So it did not pass, but barely. I think they like didn't didn't vote or they were like whatever. So they said it wasn't ready for the city council, I think. So anyways, it's going back to vote in 2020, but most likely it'll get rejected. Or it'll be whatever, yeah. restricted. That's crazy. I didn't know that. So we're all for a regulation and all that. I mean, what we were looking for were two allowable Airbnbs, and it doesn't have to be your primary residence. Yeah, because I've heard of people even like renting out apartments to just like Airbnb, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean that's kind of abusive of the <laughs> <laughs> of the platform because that's not what it's intended to be for. And then you're also most likely going against your apartment rental contract, right? <laughs> yeah. But hey, uh, very legal. Ask for very forgiveness cool. and permission. <laughs> nice, cool. You got any more, Abel? Um. Yeah, I I think at the end of the day, I don't want to give the impression that what we're doing is just to make money because obviously you don't make a lot of money doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what we are doing is trying to just grow client base and really learn a lot about design and drafting and submitting to municipalities and creating projects that are affordable for people accessible to people and allowing them to continue with their lives so but i I actually personally like structural drafting a lot more yeah so that's something that we didn't really talk about but that kind of like passed over but you guys incorporate structural into your business model so you partner up with the structural engineer yeah a a couple years ago we I was looking for a structural engineer for a project that we were designing and this guy popped up Cliff Denmark and he's been basically our, our mentor and kind of a guide in terms of engineering and also how to collaborate between the design and, and the structural portion. Uh-huh. Um, but essentially he, he's always, he, he's definitely old school. So he's running a lot of calcs, through Excel or by hand, yep. and then uh, we we pick up where where he needs in terms of drafting it on on the computer through AutoCAD and and then producing it. But uh, yeah, we all, that that said, I mean, we we also offer project management for the projects that we or construction admin for the yeah. projects that we've designed, and that to me is is much better, and for me. Uh, more pleasant use of my time to be in the field and yeah definitely and uh it's rewarding when you design like a a post bucket that you can't just buy off the catalog and yeah and then it actually works when they fab it yeah put it up there and like okay yeah that's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) look at that Uh, so yeah I, i would say that right now our business is 50 50 50% 50% architectural drafting, 50% structural drafting. Really? Yeah. Huh. And then Felisa has a few kind of real estate clients here and there. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's good. Yeah. You get different different sources of income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it comes down to is trying to Maintain expand your income yeah. sources. Yeah. And how do you see uh, like sort of the structural side playing as far as like you guys kind of like moving away from uh, Cliff and San Diego and do, do you guys planning on staying working with them and yeah we'll we'll stay working with him and then we're trying to reach out to a couple other engineers and uh-huh. get some more contacts there yeah. that's good i had a question like what are the uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what what are your habits or best practices that you have for like running your business like you know like weekly meetings or I don't know. Like, I wake up at uh, typically like five, five thirty. Jesus. And I like to be in the office early, so I can essentially draft in peace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and focus. We mainly use ArchiCAD mm-hmm. or AutoCAD. Uh, and then when Talisa comes into the office shortly thereafter, uh, tends to be, we will have a, a team meeting. I mean, it's just us two. <laughs> <laughs> a team meeting like two or three times a week. Oh. And it's just a spreadsheet that labels who's doing what and what has to be done. And that is really important. Also, you'll always notice when you go to meetings, whether it's with a client or with a architect or an engineer or contractor, no one's ever taken notes. And there's like a lot of things that are being exchanged. A lot of decisions being made. A lot of decisions. Uh, So we definitely always have a, a little clipboard. It's actually like a coach's clipboard because I can, has a whiteboard incorporated Uh. (laughs) into it. And also you can slide it open and it has compartments. Yeah. So just staying very organized and professional in that sense yep. helps a lot because, you know, actually a lot of our clients come from, they just fired their architect <laughs> <laughs> and they want someone that can finish the project because it's been either lingering or there's too much miscommunication. And that's how we get a lot of clients is they see that you're organized, you communicate really well. Uh, if if someone sends an email, best practice is not to send a few words back. It's to really go into depth and detail in your response, and because these people don't understand what's happening, they have no idea. Right. So it's like if you're a doctor and you tell someone, "Yeah, you're gonna get surgery," and they're like, "Why?" And you're like, "Yeah, you just you need it because." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the responses that we see a lot where it should actually go into depth and you have to understand right. what's happening. So communicate not only with the other team members, but with the clients. And that's something that's hard for architects, designers, draftsmen, whatever it is, because you're so involved in the actual design portion that it's almost an interruption when someone asks a question, right? So if, a cl- if you see an email from a client, it's like, come on, I'm, I'm working. 
Well, that's part of your work. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, I think we we had actually tried to hire someone, a few people over the over the like the past three years, but it's it's just really hard to have an employee. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it, and yeah, best practices don't hire an employee. <laughs> <laughs> how come? Uh, how come that didn't work out for you guys having an employee? Is it too much management, or is it or just the responsibility or the workflow? It is a lot of management, and your time is already so limited, being such a small company. Right. And I mean, we we take on so many jobs at once. We're not. Last year, I think we had uh, a total of like fifty-five jobs. Jesus, really? So I mean, they range all over the place in yeah. terms of cost and contract size. Mm-hmm. But when you have that many, it's hard to take the time to try and train someone or so i I think it's more about finding a sweet spot where it's like okay well we got to pay a little bit more but this person essentially knows what they're doing more experience yeah yeah and then there's not a lot of people that use archicad yeah but we love it so he has mac base no no on windows Mm -hmm. interesting um Uh, yeah, because a lot of like architects who use Archicad is because they want to like stay with Mac. I know, I know. Yeah. Oh, and it lets you. Yeah, Mac it, Archicad is it's uh, a Mac based. It's native for for Mac. Yeah, um, I've never used it. It's great. It's, yeah, it's a cool program. I've used it a few times. Yeah, I think Catherine uses Archicad too. They do. They do. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. actually our neighbors for at our office. Where's your office? We're twenty six thirty five Logan. Oh, We're in the okay, blue yeah, warehouse yeah, yeah. next to them. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're in that street. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> that's like because <laughs> all those uh, lots because all those <laughs> because all those lots are owned by architects. You know, we talked about it before. Yeah, well, he. Oh, yeah, you've never heard this story, but um, your office is in uh, Quigley's. Yeah, lot, it's owned right? by yeah. by Rob Quigley and Kathleen Hallahan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we, we refabbed or refab. <laughs> we uh, did a tenant improvement on there. It used to be an old CMU block warehouse that yeah. was just like super run down. And we demoed everything inside. And yeah. now we have our office. And That's pretty cool. Yeah, a little mechanic shop there. Is rent expensive? No. No? Well, we put a lot into it. So, so he's, he's letting it go for cheap, huh? If she's listening to this. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so do, do you guys, I mean, I'm assuming it sounds like you're very, very limited on time, but do you guys ever like do uh, collaborate with other architects? On different oh man, we'd love to, but no one has ever really approached us for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, what, what we bring to the table in that sense is really understanding the city. Yeah. And what you need to successfully get a permit. That's what we're really good at right now. Yeah. So we can offer a lot in terms of that and also the structural drafting portion yeah. if you're trying to save costs and you're essentially keeping it in house. Um but architects don't they don't grasp that. 
Yeah. And then they don't want they don't want to collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also just like a general um it's new, right? What you guys how you guys have your guys set yeah. up, it's mm-hmm. new, it's different, it's unconventional. So like a lot of offices are stuck in their way yeah. of you know, they're I mean we we deal with it, you know, like traditional kinda like Yeah, our you know, we have our two, three, you know, um consultants for you know structural civil that we go to and that's that's who we that's like the team you know right right <clears throat> so it's hard to change change it you know if, yeah I mean, if, if it's, it's working a, out then it's yeah know, if it's yeah. successful then why not yeah. yeah it's uh it's like Abe was saying it's like a new model in a way mm-hmm. um but i mean I, I i can see it working out i mean i, I can see it um being like a fit for somebody, for an architect who's maybe doesn't have that team or they've been like left by that team or, you know, like shit happens. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I can see it working out though. Um, yeah, it, it could definitely be a good model for one or two person offices. Yeah. And we don't want any part of the design. Yeah. Really? That's, that's why you're there. <laughs> that's what you're, you've been hired for. Yeah. So we just want to kind of collaborate and help you lower your costs, basically. Yeah. Interesting. That's what it comes down to. Do you guys have any, like, passion projects? I know you don't have a lot of time, but... Passion. <laughs> 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 no. 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 I do art. I yeah. do little sculptural pieces. and Nice. Try and use a screwdriver like three times a week, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing about owning your own business is it's not a walk in the park. So uh, no, it's not. You know, you have to. You're working all the time. Yeah. And if you don't like that, then you <laughs> get out of here. You gotta work. <laughs> you gotta work for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's a big misconception. A lot of people think that owning your own business is kind of like you're the boss, but I think you work like twice as hard, or Definitely. three times. I mean, if you more. if you want if you want to if you have that ambition and you want to expand and you want to make money and you want to have a presence, then yeah, you definitely work very hard. Yeah. If your goal is to make uh, enough for rent and food, and then it's not that hard, really. Yeah. You just need one. One or two jobs. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. That's cool. So I always ask this, but uh, what, what advice would you give to like a, like a, somebody who's thinking about going to architecture school, um, like a kid or somebody in their <laughs> mid twenties, <laughs> like a four year old. Um, really understanding what architecture is is very important so you have to get past the misconception that you're going to leave school and you're going to be a star architect <laughs> which i think a lot of people think really is going to happen school is set up for you to go work at a firm that's right. how it is yeah that's why you're there all night because the firms do the same thing they operate just like you do in school. So you're essentially going through a boot camp. Uh, if you understand that and that's what you want, 
then that's what architecture school will be for you and that's what architecture will be. Yeah. If you're able to see the value of architecture in people's lives and understand that you're going to go through designing mundane stuff for a little while, uh, basically the advice would be to push push through that and get to the point of architecture that you want to be where it is what you always thought it was form and circulation and these diagrams that are bullshit diagrams Diagrams. oh i hated diagrams um yeah it's almost like you gotta have a it's almost like you gotta have a vision and kind of you know you learn in the way but you know kind of stay true to your vision which i do agree a lot i guess that always like really bothered me about architect school like where you're almost like shamed if you leave early or like if you're like I'm not gonna work like fifteen hours, so I'm gonna work eight. You know, oh my god, you know, like you were so lazy or whatever. It's like nah, I don't like and it's just end, not yeah. worth it. it. Yeah, if you are more effective in maybe you completed twice as much as work as exactly the asshole sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah. And he's like been just been walking around the studio yep. and chit chatting. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, but he, he's yes. still like the professors love him because they always see him there. Yeah. He's just like well, he sitting in the snack bar, like, oh, hey, <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't always correlate with how much you're producing just because yeah, you're staying there. Exactly. So taking smoke breaks, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, uh, yeah, I would agree completely. It, it shouldn't be based off of that. So I, just be yourself. And also the worst thing is when you get to thesis and you have this you have this vision of what no not the not the work i'm talking about when you get the thesis and you have this vision of what you want to do and then some jackaloon professor says well i think you should do this and you fold and you do it no wrong (laughs) you just you got to do what you wanted to do yeah you always you always find support whether it's in the faculty or outside the faculty and yeah. You also have to really understand the program that you're signing up for. Yeah. Because if you, I mean, I was in a grad program that had just started and they tried to push me to have the same thesis advisor as the undergrads, nothing against the undergrads, but it was like, I literally chose this program because I can choose my own thesis advisor. Yeah. It can be you, it can be him, it can be this homeless guy on the street, yeah. it can be whoever I want. Uh, so I really had to fight for that. So understanding the program, what you're signing up for, is very key. Yeah. Key to success. Kind of knowing what you want, too, because I, I, it happened a lot where I saw a lot of students kind of don't know what they want and they get guided by these professors. And it's really important uh, yeah, to you emphasize. Be careful. Yeah, it's really important to emphasize what you said that there is, even though you might not get support with just right away with that professor that you maybe ended up with, but there is support and there is um, like backing to your ideas out there. It's, I mean, it's everywhere, you know, it's not just, you're just not stuck with that one person because it could be a little intimidating for somebody to kind of like say, oh, you know, no, I don't want to do that, you know, when somebody who's been teaching forever or been doing architecture for a while tells you one thing you know yeah and you want to go against that it's a little bit you have a little bit of fear yeah i think we've all had the project where 
you get criticized. Yeah. And it's like that's stupid. Like, what are you doing? You can't you can't have glass like on the roof. Yeah. And then like you're walking down the street and there's this project like, being built and you're like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Not not it's like I could have. I could have had glass on the roof yeah. or whatever. So just understanding that most likely the project that you just designed can happen and to not take the critique too seriously when they just be, I mean it comes down to the ideals of the reviewer of the yeah of the yeah, professor just self-respect what they ate that day maybe <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but I mean you got to be really strong to go into architecture school or you just work at a firm and that's it <laughs> and there's nothing nothing wrong with that nothing, nothing against wrong that, that. Nope. I'm just saying that people have different trajectories yep so if that's what you want cool beautiful nice. take a business class also <laughs> I would I would really recommend that yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah. I mean something shit online whatever <laughs> read a book doesn't matter <laughs> alright what about um, we didn't really <laughs> talk about it but <laughs> Uh, so with school, like, was there ever anything that you actually did learn in school and it, it like got applied to your business? Maybe not, not even like, you know, like, or that you develop like, you know, waking up early or like a certain, mm -hmm. no, <laughs> <laughs> really I would say I mean honestly I don't know I don't know how to lay out a floor plan I I don't know that's why Talisa's my partner so I didn't really learn that in school uh, I, I would say that I the sustainability maybe hmm. it wasn't I learned it in school it was I found out I liked liked mm -hmm. it and I researched it on my own and I tried to implement it in a few projects. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But no, I've always woken up early. I've always been pretty organized. I didn't learn anything about starting a firm. I didn't learn anything about structural. I didn't learn anything about construction documents. I didn't learn anything about walking down to the city. I didn't learn anything about interacting with a client yeah yeah nobody learns that in yeah, that's a big one too interacting with the client yeah. i was just listening to uh <clears throat> i follow these guys on youtube that they're graphic designers but they kind of deal with a lot of the same issues you know like the clients will be like oh we you know can you change the font real quick or you know do all these and i'm sure it's, it happens to us like change this window yeah. real quick or but they were giving like a little um presentation on how to present projects like how do you even like you know when the client comes in for the first time and you're sit down like do you show them like you, you know let's say the assignment was to give like a new logo new branding yeah. for them do you just go like straight out like boom here's the logo or do you like walk <laughs> them through like they had this whole you know method about of doing it um yeah, it's not something that we really ever study or consider. Or no, 
And I mean, it's really, really simple. If you want to get the contract or if you want to work with a client, all you need to know how to do is speak and present clearly. That's it. Yeah. But if you ever hear, we were just at a community community planning group meeting Mm -hmm. and we have to present a companion unit project because it's in the coastal and an architect got up before us and presented a project and I was like, what are you doing? You (laughs) haven't even looked at anyone. You just started like talking about the floor plan. Yeah. That's not how you, that's not how you, you present. This is terrible. This is horrible. All you have to do is like introduce yourself. I think that's something that you learn in school Yeah. with your reviews is you introduce yourself and then you start presenting your project. You walk people through it, but there's a lot of architects out there that they don't know. They don't know how to do that. Socially Mm -hmm. stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's true because uh, for me, I mean, I've always had problems in public speaking, you know, uh, but like yeah, like going through the grinder of like presentations. Yeah, but like, you're not publicly speaking. It's it tends to be one on one, unless you're like presenting to target the board members yeah. and you're designing the target in North Park. Right. It tends to be you and your client. Right. And that's it. Maybe their wife. Yeah. Or husband. Oh uh, yeah, I'm more talking about like a uh, if you go to like the Coastal Commission or like the planning oh, right, the right. planning board when you get up right. and there's a microphone in front of yeah, you well, and like <laughs> there's people behind you you know like, <laughs> who are ready to like oppose your project yeah, you know yeah. that's it can be a little intimidating but that's true. you're right you're right yeah. you got to develop that human connection you you just like don't go up there and like you know be like a piece of like just like a loaf of bread just like super dry and like just like <laughs> not you know not be a little I mean, sourdough a little sour <laughs> yeah. you gotta add a little flavor to it you know you gotta yeah. be a, a little bit more likable and that's that's something that you don't i don't think that's even you can learn that you know it's like, it's, it's but like even your, like how to be like your personality yeah, yeah but even like a business do exactly. they teach you how to you know i mean in business i think they kind of touch on it but i don't think in like business sales, school. maybe. Yeah, maybe sales. I don't know. Well, but maybe that's where you understand your limits and you hire someone to present the project. Exactly. That's that's what we, you know, with, with Catherine, she's saying like a lot of architects are just like not business people, you know? Yeah. So like you got to surround yourself with people who are going to be that, you know? It comes back to the value of your craft, mm-hmm. you know? Like what you do and what you're good at. Because not, you know, let's be honest, not all of, not all of us, Architects are going to be good business men or business women, um, entrepreneurs. You know, we're just not. We could be a good designer, right? But, but right. It doesn't you're not going to do shit if you're not. I I would I would highly suggest to anyone that's trying to start their own firm to have a partner. Yeah. And it's not a partner that is directly in line with you. You yeah. can't have two good designers in a room. I agree. You have to have someone that's good on the computer. And someone that's good with the client or someone that's good with design yep. and someone that's good with the numbers and the accounting and yeah. the contracts. I agree. Also, you have to have a contract that's written up by an attorney, hands down. <laughs> Between the partners? Yeah. No, for clients oh, or yeah, projects. For sure. That's a big lesson we learned. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, and buyer programs don't illegally use them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't believe people are still stealing <laughs> in 
2019. Yeah. <laughs> we bought ArcaCAD and AutoCAD. Unfortunately, like, at, at the same time, these programs, the yearly subscription, the monthly subscription, it's like, come on, man. Let me just pay for it once and yeah. call it a day. That's, yeah. And that's why I like ArcaCAD. We paid for it once. That's it. Boom. Yeah. Done. And then that's the version we have. And if we want to upgrade, you pay a little upgrade fee down the line. Yeah. But AutoCAD, it's like uh, it's all subscription based. It's like four hundred bucks a year, four hundred bucks yeah. a year, four hundred bucks a year. Yeah. It's still not that bad, but sounds about as Revit. How much is Revit now? I think it's like five thousand bucks, right? Yeah. But for one, for the lifetime. Product? No, I think it's like it's like <laughs> a it's year. Like 50, I, think. I think it's like fifty five hundred a year, but you get like uh, five or six computers. That's uh, what we have at the office, okay. right? Okay, that's not that, that's not something like that. Something like that. I mean, for somebody who's running like yeah, like a five person office, I mean, it's yeah. probably worth it, you know? Yeah, because I mean, one <laughs> one, one person. <laughs> that's a lot for one person. But, but even one person, I think it's like three grand or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just working on all these computers. Uh, last last kind of question, <laughs> um, which I like to ask just because I like knowing what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you currently like watching, listening, reading that you, you know, like you were saying earlier that you have like subscriptions to a lot of mag, uh, newspapers mm-hmm. but is there like what else are you kind of do you subscribe to or listen to um, that's kind of it I mean I'm, I'm much more of a news related guy so I just try and stay in touch with the different news outlets and local publications it it all comes down to local government. <laughs> Power to the people. Power to the local government. So understanding local governments is very important. That's where you have power. You don't have power on the federal stage. But uh, Talisa subscribes to a few kind of YouTube channels that talk about investing in multifamily properties mm. and understanding cash flow and and concepts like that. Uh, I can't name any off the top of my head. Do you know if they're at least based in like California or are they just No, wherever? no, they're all over the place. Mm. Most of them tend to be the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, what's that one? Uh, Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's kind of big. Yeah. They're all over the place. But yeah, other than that, just... I do like to stay in tune with local gallery expositions and... Oh, really? The museums and seeing what's happening there. Because that's mm. kind of where I draw my inspiration from. What are mm. some of your galleries that, that you go to galleries that you like around here? Um, I mean, both the Museum of Contemporary Art and Museum of Modern Art, they they tend to have some pretty good expositions. Uh, the one in La Jolla, which I think is the contemporary. I always get them confused. I think it's the contemporary Yeah, it's the contemporary they they have better expositions than the one downtown. Um, but actually, I like to go up to San Francisco and go to the the, the Young Museum. Oh, nice. Uh, because they have some really, really great stuff. And also LACMA yeah, in LA. I love LACMA. 
has has some good stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, San Diego literally has the worst museums I've ever been to in my <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the San Diego art scene is not. Not, not just great. art, like just museums in general. Yeah. Like the Museum of Man, I went in there, and it was uh, just embarrassing. I mean, you pay twenty five dollars, and then that's how much it is. Yeah. Wow. And then you walk around. It's like the the displays. Everything is. It's all made out of foam, so it looks <laughs> like it was done like fifty years ago, or whenever they had the uh, expo here. Yeah, that's crazy. The best, going back to Minneapolis, if you ever get up there, the best museum tour I've ever, because Minneapolis sits on the Mississippi River, and so Mm -hmm. it used to be the mecca for grain and flour production. And they kept one of the silos and essentially installed like this elevator that goes up what used to be the old flour production mill. And it's just incredible. Really? Yeah. Unbelievable. Nice. So I would go. Uh, I forget what it's called, but you just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Downtown Minneapolis Flower <laughs> Museum. Cool. F L O U R. Nice. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Yeah. yeah. Come you. back anytime. <laughs> yeah. Cool.